I'm Dan Benjamin, founder of 5x5. Apple is a central focus for us here, but it's more than just a topic. It's integral to the way we work. It's safe to say we wouldn't even be here without Apple or without Steve Jobs. Just think about all the ways that Steve Jobs and Apple have positively influenced and affected our daily lives. What follows is a collection of stories, thoughts, and memories about Steve Jobs and Apple by 5x5 hosts and our friends expressing how their lives have been changed for the better by Steve and Apple. Andy Anatko. Hi, this is Andy Anatko. Uh, Right now it's a little over 24 hours uh, since the news broke that uh, Steve Jobs was dead. Uh, And as you can imagine, outside of four or five hours worth of sleep, I've been spending most of that time in some way or another talking about Steve and uh, Apple and Steve's legacy and Steve's influences on uh, everyone's lives, um, which has been really, really helpful for me. Now, I can't really claim that the death of this man has affected me the way that would have affected a family member. Uh, he has been a recurring character in my life ever since uh, ever since I was a teenager. Actually, even before I was a teenager, I think. Uh, and so much of it is uh, beyond the basic human reaction when you see somebody who has contributed so much to society having that having a terminal illness and having that slow fade uh from vitality to a very very somber portrait on apple.com that's that's a level of sadness um in addition to that however there's a certain constance that steve jobs has had in our lives that's now gone and it takes a certain amount of adjustment to get through it. Um, it's a little bit like when uh, uh, they finally changed the design of the 5 and the 10 to the $20 bill. You had this thing in your pocket uh, f- that you've recognized all your life uh, that's been there uh, since you were first pretty much aware of this concept of money. And it's not as though it's the world changes uh, but it's hard to get used to the idea that this is what the world would be like from now on. And it's hard to get used to the idea that there will be more days and more weeks and more years without Steve Jobs. Uh, because, again, he's he's been that constant presence. Um, as I said before, I've spent most of today talking about Steve. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of radio interviews. And a few questions have been coming up uh, time and time again. And one of them was, what do you think... Steve Jobs would say is is his proudest accomplishment. And uh, only one person could tell you that, and he's no longer with us, sadly. But I have no problem imagining uh, Steve at age 75 at a friend's house and seeing a picture of a little boy or a little girl, five years old, in a tiger costume, just running through a backyard somewhere and going... And him being very, very pleased to know that that photo was taken 35, 40 years ago with an iPhone 4S. Um, Because the strength of the iPhone as a simple camera really tells you all you need to know about the priorities of Apple as a company. And those are priorities that Steve instilled in the company when he came back uh, after his exile. Most phone manufacturers, uh, they'll increase the megapixel count of the camera just so that when the thing is reviewed in that big, wide comparison chart on Engadget or Gizmodo, that, okay, our, ha- our, has the- our camera has the number 8 next to it, this camera has the number 5 next to it, 8 is larger than 5, therefore this is a better camera and we win that one. Yay us. Uh, Apple, however, as an institution, they don't really care about those comparison charts. There's a reason why they almost never tell you how much application memory is inside an iPhone, what chip, what DSP is being used. You have to wait for i uh, for i fix it to buy one and tear it apart before you find out what the technical specs of all those components are because they know that consumers don't care about that sort of stuff. What consumers care about is what can I do today because I have this thing that I did not I was not able to do 2 days ago when I didn't have this thing. Their first question, Apple, is how do the humans interact with technology? What role do the humans expect a piece of technology to fulfill? 
Uh, and that question empowers pretty much everything uh, that they put into from the first iPhone uh, all the way to the very, very latest one. Uh, and so look at the camera feature. It doesn't matter to them that uh, it has a megapixel count that's not 10 or 10.2. Uh, what matters to them is that it takes fantastic pictures and that it works like a regular camera. Everything you would expect a regular camera to do, this phone camera can do. And it's much, much more impressive and much, much more important because you're not likely to have an icon in your pocket around your neck everywhere you go and whenever you do it. When you're playing with your little kid in his or her little tiger costume in the backyard, you just happen to have your iPhone in your pocket with you. And the fact that uh, not only does this have great camera hardware, but you can go from taking it out of your pocket, pressing a button, and clicking the shutter like this, and getting that picture in a second and a half, uh, is the difference between a great phone and a merely well-reviewed one. Uh, I've reviewed so many phones over the course of a month. Uh, I take some standard test shots and Oh, good heavens. I mean, the, uh, there are very few times when I, I reconsider my choice of career. Most of them happen as I wait for an Android phone to decide whether or not uh, I really am serious about wanting to take a picture. And if perhaps it could test how serious I am by waiting to see how loudly I'll curse or how hard I will throw this phone at something uh, before I'll take that picture. Any other camera, that kid is already fallen onto the ground, lost his or her cheery demeanor, now wants to go back in and watch cartoons. You lost that opportunity forever. Uh, that's the relationship that technology has with humans. Technology always as the slaves to humans, uh, not something that humans need to learn about or adapt to or work into their lives. Uh, I could go on and on and on. You, you could go on and on and on too about that sort of stuff. Fortunately, Apple... Uh, will go on, I think, rather nicely without Steve. Uh, inside of Apple, he didn't create a cult. He created a culture in which this is the expectation of engineers and product managers and the direction of the company uh, to remain focused on the humans and not on the bits of compressed silicon that uh, they uh, tend to spend so much money on. I guess I'll leave it at that. Merlin Mann. Apples are toys, right? You knew this from the beginning. You know, Steve Jobs trots out this little thing, looks like a little fishbowl with a tail on it. It's a toy. It's not a real computer. Everybody knew that. I knew what real computers were. I was stuck in a class learning basic. I hated it. I hated computers. I hated go-tos. I hated run. I hated line 10. I hated all that. I hated the frilly paper with the holes you had to tear off. I hated it all. Computers were the furthest thing in the world from the toy. And I knew that as well as anybody else. I dropped that class because I hated that class. I switched uh, out of basic to be in stage band. I enjoyed major seventh chords a lot more than go-to statements. The funny thing was, about three years later, I had the uh, terrible misfortune in my first year of college to break up with a really cool one. And not only was she really cool, but she was the owner of the Magnavox video writer that I used to write all my terrible papers. So when I lost her, I lost the video writer. So a friend of mine said, hey, look, let me set you up in the Mac lab. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You want me to use a Mac? Those are toys, right? And he said, well, you know, you should at least give it a throw. I mean, you're kind of screwed. And so I did. And he showed me how to use the toy. He showed me how to use the mouse. He showed me how to use MacWrite. And uh, pretty soon, I learned how to use things like Talking Moose, Control Panel, and I started to really like the toy a lot. I eventually bought my own toy. I wrote my thesis on a toy. I learned desktop publishing on a toy. And then after I graduated, every job I've had since then has involved one of those toys. And it's true to this day. I take photos of my daughter on the toy. My kid and I make music together in GarageBand on a toy. Right now I'm standing here at the Apple Store on Stockton Street. And there's probably a couple hundred people just wandering around thinking about the guy who made toys. And they're pretty happy about it. I know I'm pretty happy about it. If he hadn't had the presence of mind to put out that toy and then make that toy better and better and better, I don't even know what I'd be doing today. I might be uh, scouring around for a video writer for all I know. All I know is I'm really glad Steve Jobs made the toy. I'm really glad he kept making it better. And uh, I'm just really grateful to live in a time when you can have such wonderful toys in your pocket. Ryan Ireland. Hi, this is Ryan Ireland. 
This past spring, my family and I sold our house and moved from North Carolina to Austin, Texas. And while cleaning out the house in preparation for our move, I found a white iBook. And that was my first Mac. I bought it in 2002 while a graduate student at the University of North Carolina. And in the doldrums of graduate school and the drab, depressing institutional interiors of university buildings, using my iBook was a bright spot in the day. Back then, the airport card was still an optional item, and I didn't have one, and so I used about 50 feet of Cat5 cable to take the iBook around my apartment. When I found the iBook again while preparing to move, I also found the original packaging and contents. I carefully packed everything back up just like it was when I received the laptop in February 2002 and shipped it back to Apple as part of the computer recycling program. Since that first iBook, I've never looked back. Steve Jobs' Apple created the product that helped me create websites, products, and a business. The most profound impact Steve's Apple has had on me is in the last 10 months since our daughter Reese was born. Quick photographs with my iPhone immediately texted to my family and friends, HD video uploaded to her Tumblr website, and FaceTime video chat with my parents when they're a thousand miles away. All of this without ever leaving my daughter's side or retreating back to a desk. It just works. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Apple, for making all of that possible. Jason Cipher. This is Jason Cipher. It's difficult to quantify the actual effect that Steve Jobs has had on my life. Uh, I've been using Apple computers ever since I was a small child, learning to type on them in school. Uh, and then eventually, much later on, I started purchasing my own Macs right around the time when Mac OS X came out. Um, that had a really big impact on my life and my work. Uh, I've worked exclusively on Macs for about 10 years now. In addition to making computers that I love to use. I think probably one of the bigger things that I'll have taken from Steve Jobs is uh, having a passion for what I do and doing that to the best of my abilities. My deepest sympathies go out to Steve's family and everybody at Apple. I think the best thing that we can do is strive for the same perfection that Steve Jobs commanded. Jeremy Fuxa. Hi. This is Jeremy Fuchsa, host of The Cocktail Napkin. I remember seeing my first Macintosh computer in 1985 at a Dillard's in Enid, Oklahoma. It was raining outside that day, and when I took hold of that mouse for the very first time, coincidentally, a bolt of lightning struck very, very close to the mall that I was in. And, and of course, my mind was reeling and illuminated by looking at the computer that I was working with because I was used to being the king of the nerds with... Tandy 1000 and TRS-80 computers. I really never used a Macintosh until 1990. In my dorm, we had a Mac lab, and a lot of people would trade pirated programs. And I was asking one guy for a Star Trek game, but he accidentally gave me a copy of Studio Session instead, which was a really early music composition app. And I used that app to write a few songs, that I then exported onto a four-track cassette. That was really kind of my beginning of, of using Macs and Apple software to make things. I never truly converted personally to Apple products until 2004 when the Mac Mini came out. But I can tell you that since 2004, pretty much every technological piece of equipment in my household is Apple or interfaces with Apple products in some way. I thank you, Steve. And I'm so honored that I was able to witness the things that you made in your lifetime. Katie Floyd. I've never met Steve Jobs, but he has forever changed my life. In 1984, I was four years old, and my father bought the original 128K Macintosh primarily to use for his small business. He brought the machine home, and I, always curious, decided that I needed to know what this new toy was all about. My parents were very supportive of my curiosity, and my dad showed me how to use programs like McPaint. And within a couple of weeks, I had commandeered the computer. Within a couple of months, the Macintosh lived full-time in my bedroom, 
and my dad ended up buying yet another Mac for his business. I was allowed to play and explore on that Mac for many years to come, and a passion for technology was born that has shaped my life in more ways than I will ever know. My early experiences on the Mac opened me up to a larger world. Even though the Internet hadn't come of age that early on, my experiences on the Mac taught me to be curious. I learned how to manipulate it, and when things went wrong, I learned how to fix it. And those childhood experiences fundamentally changed my personality and forever shaped the course of my life. Today, Steve's influences are everywhere in my life. It's the iPhone that's never out of my reach. That's my connection to the larger world with email and Twitter and Facebook and instant messaging clients. I'm able to constantly be connected to my office. I can organize appointments and tasks and business documents and contacts. And oh yeah, it's a phone. It's changed my life in ways that I could have never imagined and in such a way that I could never go back. The iPod and the iTunes Music Store have opened me up to a whole new world of educational content, information, entertainment. I now spend my commute learning about the latest technology or hearing commentary on world events thanks to podcasting and iTunes U. And the iPad has re-energized my love of reading, allowed me to stay up to date on the latest news and events, and to consume and share content in ways that I never thought possible. And then there's the Mac. It's my everything machine. That's the heart of my technological life. It's the machine that makes it possible for, among other things, to create a podcast with my friend and share it to hundreds of thousands of people I've never met around the world. And if that's not magical, I don't know what is. So thank you, Steve Jobs. Thank you for being a part of my life every day. And thank you for changing it for the better. Christina Halverson. I've never had a religious experience with an Apple product. I owned a PC and a Trio until 2009. The staff at my company all use PCs. I don't make fun of my friends with Androids, and I still don't own an iPad. And so while I knew it was big news when Steve Jobs stepped down as Apple CEO, I honestly didn't understand the response my new community of designers, developers, and web writers had. And when news of his death came yesterday, my online community immediately went into deep mourning. Every single tweet in my timeline was about him. The response was overwhelmingly emotional. Me, I was shocked but not saddened. To be perfectly blunt, I didn't get it. It seemed like everyone was being overly dramatic about what was a sad but not totally epic event. Of course, I didn't say this to anyone, because then who comes off as the ignorant asshole? Me, that's who. But after a few hours of nonstop Steve Jobs hashtags... I started clicking the links. I started reading. For the first time, I learned about his life and his leadership. I read personal accounts from my colleagues and friends about how his products were the doorways into their careers, helping them realize their passions. Over and over, I read the list of legacies he left behind. The personal computer, Pixar, the iPod, iTunes, the iPhone, the iPad. You know, that stuff, I take it all for granted. I don't even really see my iPhone or MacBook Air anymore. They're kind of like the glasses I wear every day. I grab them and I put them on without thinking about it first thing in the morning. And I can see anything, everything. On a recent trip to the bookstore, my son selected a book called Heroes of the World. We read about a person every night before bedtime the story of their lives, the things they contributed, the way they changed our world. Yesterday, for the first time, I realized his book was missing someone. So last night, instead of reading his book, I read my son an article about Steve Jobs. He said, wow, why isn't that guy in my book? I said, he will be. We both get it now. Mike Davidson. My lasting memory of Steve Jobs is that he saw to it that the personal computer era both began and ended on the right notes. In the 80s, he taught us that computing could be a beautiful thing, 
we all fell in love with the Apple II and the Macintosh, and our parents didn't know what the hell we were so excited about. And then we went through a really dark era in the 90s and the early part of this decade when uh, the world was dominated by another operating system and, frankly, other principles. And during that period, I remember thinking to myself, it can't end this way. It just can't end this way. And luckily enough, uh, Apple was smart enough to call Steve back to the company and the rest is history. We now have a resurgent Mac iPods, iPhones, iPads, a world in which design matters again and people pay attention to details. And uh, I just couldn't be happier with the way things have have turned out, all because of the work of this one irreplaceable man, a man that, um, quite frankly, found his calling in life and made the most he possibly could of it. And we are all now the beneficiaries of your work, Steve. Thanks again. Adam Lissagor. Hi, Steve. How great is it that you're one of the most influential people in the history of the world, and we all call you Steve? How great is it that you're famously reclusive and private, but you read all your email and answer it on a whim? That's something I'm taking from you, by the way. It's a testament to what kind of a man you are, one that holds himself personally accountable for his decisions, who will answer for himself and has always been the most apt representative of the company he created. I'll tell you something about what I've learned from you, something that's now more clear in the last day or so than it's ever been before. That it's okay to say no to the things in our lives that add no meaning. That by doing so, we set the context within which to be our greatest selves. In the way you began at some point to wake up each day and confront yourself with your mortality, I'll from here on wake up and ask myself, how many things am I doing that add no meaning? And whatever that number is, is how many things I'll strip away because I want to be my greatest self, like you. So thank you, Steve. You brought into the world a real, honest love for the promise of humanity. You saw the greatness in us and helped build us the tools to see the greatness in ourselves. Jeffrey Zeldman. Hi, this is Jeffrey Zeldman. Steve Jobs fired me. We never actually met. He fired me through uh, underlings. Uh, What happened was uh, Apple hired a friend and I to do some work on their website, and we were really thrilled and honored, as anyone would be who loved Apple. And this was in 2000 or so, maybe 2003, and we were going to try to bring web standards to Apple's existing design. Um, and before we before we signed the contract, we asked, we very naively asked if we could blog about it, if we could put a little post on our websites that just said we're very honored to be working with Apple, a company that we love. And our client contact at Apple said, sure, go ahead. But don't, you know, don't make a big deal. Don't say exactly what you're doing. Keep it vague and keep it simple and short and you'll be fine. So we did that and went to sleep. And while we were asleep, the internets blew up. And the next morning we were fired because as we learned, Apple really doesn't like Apple under Steve certainly didn't like people knowing what it was doing. Secrecy was a big deal. And, you know, if I knew then what I know now, of course, I wouldn't have said a word. Uh, Steve paid us anyway. Uh, He didn't blame us. I I don't think he thought we were jerks. I just think he took us off the project immediately because, uh, because we told, because we talked. But he paid us anyway, which was kind of remarkable. Um... And we were allowed to name our successor. We picked someone else who was very good, who did the job, did a really great job. The strange thing about the story is that after this, I developed the Apple curse. Everything I bought from Apple gave me trouble that that doesn't give other people trouble. The curse is fading now, but but for years I would, I mean, it started with OS X. I installed OS X on my uh, Mac Pro Tower. And it turned into a hockey puck. I couldn't, you know, I could, I could read, you know, I could use it in classic, but I couldn't use it in. And it was a brand new machine, and it was supposedly had been made. And, and, and anyway, all the stuff that that works for normal people that you know no one has a problem with, whether it was syncing mobile me or whatever, I always had problems. And and people said you're cursed, and I always assumed Steve was still a little peeved. Steve was still a little bit mad, 
And over the years, Apple's stuff has gotten more reliable. And, and just in the last few weeks, it seemed like I was able to upgrade or install or, or open a new Mac computer and, and, and nothing went wrong. I've been having nothing but good luck with Apple. So I think Steve forgave me. And for that, I am grateful. Jason Snell. Hey, guys. Jason Snell from Macworld here. Yeah, Steve Jobs. You know, I, I interviewed him in person once. Uh, interacted with him in a few press conferences and events and stuff. But I interviewed him for the 20th anniversary of the Mac. And I remember at the end of that interview asking him what he thought about his future at Apple and how long he would stay as the CEO. And it turned out later that I was asking him this not too long after he had been diagnosed with cancer, but before the world knew. And uh, after he had had that whole experience that he discussed in his Stanford University commencement address. And, uh, you know, I asked him the question, expecting that he would just say, you know, yes, I'm here for the long haul, or maybe, you know, I'll, I'll be here for a little while and then I'll find somebody to run the company for me. And instead there was this long pause then he said something like, and I wish I remembered exactly what he said, but he said something like, you know, like the saying goes, we're all only renting time here on planet Earth. And I thought, wow, where did that come from? It's very philosophical when I was really only asking for his commitment to Apple. And uh, only later, much later, did I discover that that was after he had gotten his diagnosis and he was really thinking about what... Um, you know, what his life was like and what his priorities were. And he didn't really know how long he would stay at Apple. But I think if you look at all that he accomplished in his time at Apple, he could have left. I think he stayed because he had this passion for Apple as a company and what it stood for. And uh, and so even though he could have retired at any time and spent more time with his family, he really did want to keep on doing what he loved and knew that that was what he wanted to do with his time on planet Earth before his lease was up. So, you know, we're all benefactors of him deciding, rather than being selfish and going off with his family and, and uh, you know, buying an island somewhere, <laughs> that he would stay and focus on doing what he loved, which was working at Apple and creating these amazing products that have really changed the world. Um, so that's sort of my memory of, of Steve Jobs. The only other thing I could say about him is that he had this incredible combination of skills that we'll never see again. But if I have to appreciate one thing about him, it's not actually the showmanship. For me, it's the interest in what people want from technology. If I had to boil it down, you know, there are so many engineers in Silicon Valley who know how to make circuit boards or to write incredible software, but have no conception of how regular people interact with products. And with Steve Jobs, even from the Apple II, and especially that you can draw a line from the Mac all the way up to the iPad, Steve Jobs was always concerned about how people would use it and what it would be used for. The fact that the Mac was a great digital photo device, that looking at photos and listening to music on an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod were, you know, this is all about entertainment and delight and people being excited about using technology as opposed to people who, you know, used a PC in the 80s and the 90s and only did it begrudgingly, that Apple products were meant to be enjoyed, that he was, uh, he was really good at focusing on the end product and not on where the technology would take them. Well, we've got this chip, we've got this certain kind of part, we've got this circuit board that we can buy, you know, Steve Jobs, I, I really think more than anything else, I appreciate his ability to say, no, that's not good enough. We need to make a product people actually want, not a product we can make and market to them. They need to actually want what we give them and like it when they buy it. And uh, I can only hope that Apple's success in the last 10 years, as opposed to the first part of its lifetime, um, I can only hope that that has an impact on future uh, tech CEOs and technology companies. And instead of viewing Apple as this weird company that makes weird products that only some people like, Apple's success over the last decade means that people look at Steve Jobs and what he stood for and look at Apple and the products it makes and say, wow, we need to do that. We need to be like Apple. We need to make great products that people actually love and not to compromise. 
And if that happens, then that's Steve Jobs' greatest legacy, that this industry, which has such potential, um, finally realizes that it's about real people using their products and not about the, the, the tech specs and the parts that they can get from a manufacturer. Anyway, those are my recollections. Uh, so once again, this is Jason Snell from Macworld and The Incomparable, signing off. Adam Stachowiak. So Steve Jobs is a, is a man of impact. He's impacted so many people's lives and beyond my little words could ever compare. But um, obviously we're all pretty sad about his passing and, and I wish his family uh, nothing but blessings and, and, uh, and love. But um, I can't say that my history with Apple has been severely long. I started to use Apple products back in 06 and before then I didn't even... Uh, really cover founders or stories like this or much in the web. It was pretty much my start, but uh, Steve's impact to me was pretty much uh, began whenever I heard about his commencement to uh, the Stanford University. And, you know, he talked about a number of things in there. And, um, but running this show, Founders Talk, it just makes me realize that, um, He's the kind of person that would have been awesome to have on the show, and the pipeline is on 5x5 five five as well. And It would have been really a fabulous conversation to talk to him about starting companies and being being out there. I think that my show is way too small for someone as big as Steve, so it's not, uh, it's not something I wish I could turn back time and do, but part of me really wishes I'd, I'd emailed him a year ago or six months ago and said, hey, you know, come on the show. And let's talk, but I just wanted to to share my thoughts on Steve with with you all and the rest of the five by five network um, about who he was and and what he was to me. But obviously, I'm a uber fanboy of Apple products, like uh, like the rest of you probably are. And it's not so much because of the product itself, but because there's a there's a person behind that brand. There's a a person that that led that team in a magical way that made the things that we use and the stuff that we enjoy possible. And he touched so many people's lives. And I just wanted to say thanks to him, to all of you. Thank you. David Sparks. I became a believer in 1984 when I first sat down at a Mac. I'd used computers for years, but the Mac was different. At the time, I had no clue who Steve Jobs was, but he already changed my life. Tonight, I received several calls from geek and non-geek friends alike concerning Steve's passing. A common thread through these conversations was a shared sense of loss. Why is this? None of us were personal friends with Steve. Steve didn't know any of us existed, but we sure knew he did. Steve and his no-compromise attitude changed technology and the world for the better. In my own life, Steve Jobs became my personal muse. I write music, make movies, and write poetry, all using the products that Steve Jobs and Apple created. This is Steve Jobs' legacy in my life and why I mourn him. I'm not alone. I offer my most sincere condolences to Steve's family and friends. To everyone delighting in the magical products he gave us, I say the best way to celebrate his life is to continue denting the universe in our own special ways using the tools he gave us. Thanks, Steve, for everything. Jim Kudal. Hi, this is Jim Kudal in Chicago. Around 1990, I left my job as the uh, creative director of a mid-sized ad agency here in the city. And uh, I left the job and took a client with me and started my own firm. And the day that I quit, I went in early and I cleaned out my desk. And then I went back and I waited for my boss to come in. I had a conversation with him, an acrimonious one. And I walked to the elevators and out of the office. I got in my car and I drove to the suburbs of Chicago, way out in the western suburbs, to a store that was an Apple distributor. And I bought a Mac Classic. I brought it home, fired it up, loaded freehand onto it, and I remember I set, the first thing I did was I set, typeset a headline. I typeset the headline, The Sound and the Fury, and I typeset it 
upper and lower, stack-centered, in Palatino. And I've never looked back. Since then, I've had dozens of Apple products. I'm recording this on my phone. And uh, I don't think my life and career would be anything like it was if it wasn't for Apple and its products. Thanks, Steve. Christina Warren. Hi, my name is Christina Warren, and I'm the entertainment editor at Mashable.com. Growing up, my hero was not Steve Jobs. It was Bill Gates. It's funny uh, looking back and seems a little bit odd, but at the time it it made sense because when I was growing up and when I was becoming interested in computers, Steve Jobs was not the driving force in the industry. Bill Gates was. Bill Gates and Microsoft were what were propelling the industry forward and were what were making the the computer industry what it what it was. So my first experience with Steve Jobs actually didn't have anything to do with Apple. In fact, it was it was Pixar that I first become I recall becoming aware of who Steve Jobs was and what he was about. I remember seeing Toy Story in the theater with my mom in 1995. I guess it was November of 1995. And I remember being hesitant to see the movie because I was, I was 13. I was afraid, am I too old for this? You know, is this going to be any good? And being blown away. A, it was irreverent and funny and witty and sweet. A really genuinely good movie. And B, the computer technology, the computer graphics were just spectacular. And it totally, I knew it was going to change everything. I knew that it was going to completely change the way the movies were made because it, it was creating this whole new art form um, and this whole new way of storytelling, which someone to someone like me who has grown up being obsessed with movies and loving the movies and then became very, very interested in computers kind of seeing those two worlds come together was particularly exciting for me. I remember learning about Pixar. Um, using a Mac, uh, probably not ironically, um, because that's what we used at school, and that was my, my first experience kind of using and repairing and getting to the deep guts of computers was uh, using the Mac Lab, uh, the Power Mac Lab at school. I remember finding out that the guy that co-founded Apple Computer was also the CEO of Pixar. And that really struck me. Because I thought, wow, you know, here's this guy who gets to do both and who understands both. And it would be years, it would be years later that I would actually, you know, the full impact of Steve Jobs and, and his vision um, would make any sort of sense to me that I would think about it in anything other than the abstract. But I think that it's telling that for me anyway, my first experience with him was through film. Growing up, I used to always be sad that I was never alive when John Lennon was alive. And I know that sounds weird and kind of funny and, and odd, but the Beatles were such an important band to me. Um, it was one of the first bands that I ever actually kind of discovered when I started actually caring about good music. And they were so influential, and, and John Lennon was so incredibly talented that I've always been saddened that he was assassinated before I was born, and I was never able to exist in the same sphere as him. Not that I would ever get to know him or talk to him or anything like that, but just knowing that I existed on the same kind of plane of of human existence as as he did would have been, I don't know if it's comforting is the right word, but it, it just, it would have been nice. I feel like I would have enjoyed seeing what he introduced to the world. I'm really glad that I was alive when Steve Jobs was alive because I think that he, like John Lennon, has had, he will have an influence and he has had an influence that will transcend decades and will transcend generations. The way that John Lennon and the Beatles changed the music industry, and let's be clear, they changed it more than any other band in history ever has or ever will. Steve Jobs has changed the computer industry. And while not to the as significant as a degree, you know, with the animation and, and film industry, he's had a big impact there too. And I think about what Steve Jobs has done and I think about how my life is different because of Apple and because of my love for Apple, the people I've met, the the people that I'm I'm talking on this podcast right now, um, the relationships that I've made, the fact my nickname is C Mac. And I'm really grateful and I'm really, really glad that I was alive when Steve Jobs was alive.
And I'm sad for the next generation that will miss out on being alive when Steve Jobs was alive. Just like I was able to enjoy the Beatles and get into music and really appreciate what John Lennon put out there, um, they'll be able to appreciate and respect and, and look up to Steve Jobs and his legacy. But I'm still sad for anyone who didn't get to live and exist in that same kind of plane as him. Because even though I never met him, and even though I was never in the same room with him, just knowing that someone like him was out there and was creating amazing products had this eye for innovation and this eye for taste made the world a better place. And it certainly made my time and my experiences better just by proxy of being able to take advantage of what he shared with us. So thank you, Steve Jobs. Thank you for Toy Story, money to, to keep Toy Story going. Thank you for the iPod. Thank you for the iPhone. But most importantly, thank you for, for pushing your vision out there and for sharing your taste and your ideas of the future with all of us. Chad Pytel. This is Chad Pytel from ThoughtBot. I've always used and loved computers, but it wasn't until 2005 that I switched to Macs. But it completely changed the way I thought about and interacted with these amazing machines I spend almost all my waking hours using. Even more so now with all the other Apple devices that permeate my life. The way I think computers should work, indeed the way I think everything should work and be designed, has been so deeply influenced by Steve's work. Steve, the ways in which you impacted my work, my life, are still being revealed to me, and I know that will continue, even though you're gone. What an amazing testament to the impact of your work. Your passing reminds me acutely of my own mortality and inspires me to action all the more. Thank you. Jim Metzendorf. I got my first Mac, a Quadra 840AV, in 1994. It was during the dark times. Steve Jobs had been exiled from Apple nine years prior and subsequent management teams were sending the company into a downward spiral of almost certain doom. The Mac was losing its advantage, but I thought it was still the best computer. It was still the most personal of personal computers. Why? Because a spark of Steve's visionary DNA persisted. It was inexorably linked to the products. That summer, I took my first steps into digital audio, video, MIDI, and music notation. I was hooked, and all these years later, I'm even more enthusiastic than ever before about the tools I use every day in my life. But Apple's products can be more than just a well-made tool. At times, they can transcend their utility and inspire. The software and computer keyboard can become an extension of oneself. In my case, as a saxophonist, clarinetist, and photographer, They are like the finest mouthpiece and reed I've ever played on. They are like the sharpest lens I've ever taken a picture with. That's not even the most meaningful way Steve's vision has touched my life. You see, my wife and four-year-old son Alex live a thousand miles away from me. Literally. After I was laid off from my previous full-time job, I had to take work where I could find it. I'm absolutely desperate to get back to them as soon as possible. But until that happens, FaceTime is what makes life tolerable. Now, of course, video chat is nothing new. But thanks to Steve, it's as simple as talking on the phone. I get to see my son almost every day because of FaceTime. He shows me his Lego creations, his drawings. We read books together. He's even used me as a FaceTime action figure through my wife's iPhone, taking me for rides in his toy spaceships and cars. So thank you, Steve. Thank you for everything. Most of all, thank you for helping me stay connected with my son. Jen Simmons. Hi, this is Jen Simmons from The Web Ahead. I didn't know Steve Jobs personally, and he certainly had no idea who I am. I don't even really know anybody at Apple. But I always felt like I had a deep connection to him, at least after I knew who he was. 
which I don't remember when I, uh, I first even learned about, about him. But I do remember the first moment, the exact moment I first laid my eyes on a Macintosh. By the end of that day, I had one on my desk at home in my bedroom. And it really literally changed the entire course of my life. It allowed me to be creative and technical both at the same time, which is something I really wanted to do but had no idea how to do. And it allowed me to make things of a high enough quality that I really could be proud of my work, both of which just amazing. I didn't know Steve Jobs at all, but I I deeply identified with his passion and his willingness to put greatness first. For years, back when... Apple would do live streams of all of the presentations. I would just drop everything at work and sit with one of my closest friends and watch them. It, I felt like I understood something about Steve, or perhaps that he understood something about me. And I loved him because he always put design first, over money, over business politics. He genuinely wanted to affect everyday people's lives for the better. And that kind of passion is something that many of us have in this internet, web, phone, app, application, business, to make something great just for the sake of making something great. That because, of course, fine craftsmanship, attention to detail, and care for user experience matters. That somehow, even when we're in a situation where other people don't value those things, we're in this little club, this club of people who do care. And it it felt like somehow we were backed up by Steve Jobs or justified in what we standing up for those values that he was so visible and so passionate that, that we were in some kind of club with him. What was most remarkable about his life, of course, is the great vision that he had the way that he would see something, some idea or some piece of technology and realize its full potential and what it could mean for all of us in the future. And then he just went to work to get things done Ideas are are cheap, of course. Uh, Refining them into perfection and making them real is what is next to impossible. And he did that with the teams at Apple over and over and over again. Not just projects that took three or six months, but projects that took five and ten years. Giant, revolutionary projects. It's really hard to imagine a world without Steve Jobs if Apple had never happened. Or if he had not returned to Apple to help rescue it. I can't imagine my life if I had bought that IBM XT instead of that Mac. It certainly would have been completely different. So today, the day after he died, feels like a heavy loss. His his death is a true loss. And I'm thinking today of everyone at Apple, now and in the past, those people who are the real people who made all the crazy ideas, all of Steve's legacy, concrete. I wish all of you the best as you carry on making Apple insanely great. Dave Pell. Hey, this is Dave Pell from Tweet Age Wasteland. I wrote this on a Mac. I recorded it on a Mac. I made this on a Mac. That statement is probably pretty common these days, but there was a time I would have never imagined creating something on a computer. Sure, I had some friends type up one of my essays or maybe a college application on their parents' compact computer, the glowing green letters clicking across a deep black square. They typed... My words came out the printer, but it wasn't creation. It was typing. The actual creation couldn't be done on such an uninspiring, lifeless machine. When it came to creating, I stuck with my ballpoint pen and a pad of lined paper. That's how it was until the 80s when I got my first Mac, and I saw how a computer could be a tool so powerful and yet so unobtrusive that it almost felt like an extension of myself. It was easier to use, it looked better on my desk, it was better. It was made by someone who cared that it was better. I got rid of my pens. Everything I created from then on, I created on my Mac. It seems so obvious now. Yeah, of course, you create stuff on your Mac. But back then, the people to whom that seemed obvious were part of a tiny club. We only made up a couple percent of computer users. We'd see each other at small, dank Mac stores and wonder why the rest of the world didn't see what we could see. The Mac looked better, it felt better, and everything looked and felt better on a Mac. The Mac was inspirational, the Mac was a place to create. Documents looked better, when the web showed up it looked better too. 
For years long before the Switch campaign, I spread the gospel. I tried to convince my friends and family and classmates and co-workers to see the light and use a Mac. A few designer types trickled over to the Mac world, but the rest always had some excuse to keep using Windows. None of these excuses ever made any sense to me. I never, ever considered using anything but a Mac from the first day I touched one. When my then-girlfriend agreed to be my wife, I told her it was time to have the discussion about her converting. She said, don't worry, I've already talked to the rabbi and I've started the process of becoming Jewish. I know our kids will be growing up in a house without a Christmas tree, and I'm okay with that. But that wasn't the conversion I was talking about. I explained to her that our kids would be growing up in a house without Windows-based PCs. And then I gave her my old Mac Plus and I said, lady, this is your life now. She joined my small club. Then Steve Jobs came back to Apple. And slowly, as the new iProducts came, Steve and I converted more and more of my friends and family. One by one, they all came over. Those old faces from the corner Mac stores were now joined by millions in lines outside of Grand Apple stores. What was all the excitement about? The same thing it was about the first time I used a Mac. Inspiration and creation. It's about a guy making something awesome, and by extension, telling you to go make something awesome yourself. Since Steve Jobs died, I've already seen hundreds of writers and designers thank him for helping them live creative lives. A few folks have called Steve Jobs the modern-day Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe that's true, but more importantly, he made the products that unleashed the da Vinci in all of us. And he left an army of us. Our numbers can be seen in the flowers left by the inspired and lined up outside of the Apple stores and in messages that blanket the Internet and in the companies that will make tomorrow's technology. Like a few flowers, these words are hardly a fitting tribute, but right now, it's the best one I can make. And tomorrow, I'll open up my Mac and I'll try to make something else. In 1982, Steve Jobs made my first computer and he's had my back ever since. Right now, I'm surrounded by Steve's handiwork, I typed this out on my MacBook Air. I'm recording this on a MacBook Pro. And there's a good chance you're listening to this on something Steve Jobs created or inspired. I learned to program on an Apple II, and the first real computer I owned was a Mac, even though it consumed every penny of my bar mitzvah money, money well spent. It set me on a path I'd be on for many years, a path I'm still on, with a focus on having fun with technology, putting the experience first, and creating as much joy as possible. And that's how I think of Steve Jobs today as a person who was in charge of creating joy. And this is what I'd like to thank him for, not just for the things he inspired, but for creating a place where so many smart, creative people can get together and make something awesome. I believe we create our own future every second of every day. Our present actions set up the conditions that determine our path, and everything we do, no matter how small, really matters. And right now what I'd like to do is say thank you, Steve, for everything you've done. We wanted to end with a quote from the commencement address Steve Jobs made to the graduating class of 2005 at Stanford. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voices. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary.